Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. Tis the season for holiday gatherings, and in many cases, that means food and drink. And since it's the last month of the year, we thought, what better time to talk about STL's food scene in 2023 and dish on what's coming to the region in 2024. So today, we've convened a comestible roundtable with two guests whose taste buds, guts, and brains render wrecks for hungry readers to savor all year round. First, we have Mira Nagarajan, executive editor of Sauce Magazine and a frequent guest on our show. Great to see you again, Mira. Hi, thank you for having me. And we also have Ian Frobe, restaurant critic for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. So glad you're back again. Thanks, it's great to be here. And the first time that we've been on together. (laughs) So we're going to start with uh, your best lists. And both Sauce Magazine and the Post-Dispatch have published these. Talk to me, Mira, about the one on your list that you dined at most recently or have gone to most frequently. That's our number one restaurant, Wright's Tavern. I just went there last week, and it's definitely the one on my list that I've gone to the most. And um, it's number one for so many reasons, but that would be the one that stands out to me. Mm -hmm. And what is it that makes it stand out? In my opinion, it's the um, the way the restaurant is set up is their kitchen leadership is really great under Carrie McDowell, who's their executive chef. And then their front of the house, which is led by their um, owner, Matt McGuire. I feel like they are two halves of a restaurant brain that are completely working in sync and communicating with each other. And to me, that translates for the diner to have a pretty amazing experience. Mm-hmm. And Ian, Wright's Tavern is on your list as well. Correct. Is there anything more that you would add to what Mira has said? Only that, you know, in addition to everything Mira said, which is 100% correct. I mean, it's kind of a dream team between Matt and Carrie in front and back of the house. Um, they just do all the little things correct that I think are easy to take for granted in a steakhouse. Um, you know, they use, to get technical, they use a high temperature broiler. Uh, which gives the steak just that perfect exterior as opposed to, you know, most restaurants, even great restaurants, just use kind of the grill hatch marks that you would, you know, do in your backyard. Um, And they also, I have to give a shout out, uh, their onion rings and their crab cake, two things that you could easily, (laughs) easily take for granted and have miserable examples of throughout um, any city, not just St. Louis. They Mm -hmm. do both perfectly. So yeah, Wright's Tavern is just a joy. I love onion rings. <laughs> Their was, onion rings are perfect. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. some it's what I craved most when I was pregnant. So I will have to get to Wright's Tavern. I'm not pregnant now. <laughs> <laughs> you can still love them. Yeah. Yes. I was not pregnant and I <laughs> ate a lot of them. Um, as far as that question about the place that you dined at most recently, Ian, which was the one that you have been to most often or you know, 
Well, I'll, I'll do a shout out because it's not number one on my list, but it's close to the top. And it was my last formal review of the year. And it made a real late charge into my best list is El Molino del Ceresta, mm. which is a new uh, Mexican restaurant, specifically uh, the cuisine of the Yucatan uh, Peninsula. Um, from Alex Henry, who's been a chef around town for quite a few years now. Um, this is really his showpiece restaurant. He has a stand at uh, the food hall at City Foundry called Sir Esta. Um, and this sort of takes that cuisine, refines it further, expands the menu. Um, and it's just terrific. It's a place where they sort of pitch it as build your own menu. You know, go ideally with a large group, order as much as you can, tacos, but also more composed plates. Uh, there's a beautiful scallops dish there with white chocolate mole, which is just one of the most breathtaking dishes I've eaten in several years. Um, mm. I think I put it at number four in my list. I hope that's right. Um, yeah. But, you know, that's a restaurant. I literally had to recast my list at, at almost the last minute because it was it's such a dynamic it was restaurant. So we would like to invite you to this conversation. What was your favorite St. Louis area place to eat in 2023 and why? Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 314-382-TALK. You can also email us at talk at stlpr.org or hit us up on social media at STL on air on X or you can reach us on our St. Louis on the Air Facebook page. We did have some response from an earlier call out. Um, one from Tyler Small uh, says that the fattened calf got a real special thing going on. And Dr. Marva Robinson, who's a, a previous guest on our show, tweeted her favorite spots and started with Elicious in Ferguson and followed up with a can't forget my two favorite restaurant wineries, which received a lot of my money, City Winery STL and Cooper's Hawk. So as far as these, the lists that you two have put together, um, and then what people's favorites are, you know, there will be some crossover, there will be some differences, because what you all do is, is part of your job. As far as what you were seeing in 2023, were there any trends in like menu items or approaches um, just sort of looking at the list that you put together, Ian? Um, it was an interesting mix. You know, I, I think for the past several years, St. Louis has seen a really interesting mix of chefs who are kind of going out and taking chances with the higher end stuff like El Molino del Ceresta, which I just mentioned, or my number one restaurant and number two restaurant, uh, Mainlander. Uh, which is an ambitious sort of prefix menu, um, and Sado, the great sushi restaurant on the hill, which is really sort of taking sushi to the next level in St. Louis. Um, but also you get a lot of really sort of interesting, fascinating, fast, casual counter service restaurants. I think we're really in a good place now where, um, you know, you can walk into these restaurants that are storefronts that look very casual where you, you know, walk up, place your order, pick it up from a tray, what, whatever. But it's great food and it can, you know, compete with anything that you would get in, in most sit-down restaurants. You know, there's a great, on my list this year, there's a great place called West Bank Street Eats mm. um, in O'Fallon, Illinois, which is a Palestinian restaurant uh, focused mostly on shawarma, uh, beef and chicken shawarma, which is just terrific. I mean, they cook the flatbread for you in front of you on a little sort of flat top uh, grill. Um, it's a fantastic restaurant. And again, you just walk in, order, get your food on a tray and, you know, or get it to go. Um, and it's terrific. So I, I th for me, that's for several years now, the trend towards just, you know, from food halls to fast casual restaurants, sort of the casual but excellent restaurant is, is always a welcome thing to see. Mm -hmm. Mira? Uh. Well, I think I, 
just a return to roots in general this year was something I took note of from Lovell's Nigerian Cuisine, which opened up on Washington Avenue, focusing on Nigerian food and Western African regional dishes. Uh, Delhi Divine from Ben Paremba, where they're really focusing on the, you know, just all the beloved dishes from a Jewish deli. Uh, we love Cane Tayo, which was a Filipino restaurant. They just opened up in uh, Midtown, you know, closing down their original location and moved into uh, Midtown St. Louis. So, and then to, piggypa- to piggyback on what Ian was talking about with West Bank Street Eats and O'Fallon, a lot of Mediterranean, Middle Eastern places, a new place in City Foundry, Massage, Mediterranean, just open up from the people that have Golden Chicken in St. Peter's, Anita's Cafe, Lebanese Focus. So I think like a lot of like focus on, on um, drilled down on cuisine. And then for me personally, the rise of the bar again. I feel like the pandemic really put a damper on socializing and nightlife and bars. And so lots of new bars and really distinctive points of view um, emerged this year. Mm-hmm. We want to invite you again to this conversation. We're talking about the best eats of 2023 and best drinks as well. Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 314-382-TALK. So as far as the uh, the walk-up counters that you were talking about, Ian, and then sort of these reconnections with roots, it to me seems like that is a, a very St. Louis thing and that it is really reflecting, you know, who lives here, who dines here, who spends their money here, and who's making the food. We've talked about this on, on the show over the year as well. Are there... Uh, collaborations. I think that is also something that has been uh, a sort of a trademark of St. Louis. Collaborations or partnerships that have really stood out in the 2023 year. Yeah. Well, I think pop-ups in general is sort of the gateway to collaborations. Um, you know, there's so many. MJ Stewart from Niche Food Group had that um, DNFT pastry pop-up, and she was on the show with you not too long ago. Um, Ellsworth Supper Club from Justin McMillan, he's doing pop-up. Uh, a series of pop-ups coming up. Um, There's also, I think people are partnering with restaurant spaces and event spaces to house those pop-ups. And I feel like the collaborations start there. You know, when um, there's another one that's coming up at a sippy wine bar off of uh, Cherokee Street. So it's like these chefs and these restaurant owners or event space owners are uh, working together to create, you know, pop-up spaces that people can enjoy. And a lot of those actually translate into restaurants down the line. It's kind of a testing ground and um, a great place to try new food, but it's not necessarily a new restaurant. Mm-hmm. Ian? Well, you know, I, uh, so not repeating what Mira just said, and I think an interesting aspect um, with sort of where pop-ups and collaborations are going that, that I saw this year, uh, a specific example um, that's actually now a restaurant is, is Rated Test Kitchen downtown, mm-hmm. um, which has a vibe that feels very much like a pop-up. Um, and uh, Juwan Rice, the very young, I think he's now 22, uh, chef who an owner of Rated, you know, he invites you in, and um, you know, you you not as a restaurant critic, but you as a diner are invited to you know scan a QR code and rate your meal at the end, and he adapts the meal based on diner suggestions and feedback. Um, so I think, you know, even beyond sort of the, the pop-ups and the restaurants working with each other, I think there is kind of a growing sense that, you know, 
know, maybe it's because of all the people who, who post now on TikTok and Instagram and sort of have made themselves influencers that way that, you know, chefs have to reach out to diners and connect with them, I think, a little more directly, um, that the era of the chef as sort of this unapproachable rock star that you saw maybe 15, 20 years ago is over, you know, um, and that now there's going to be some back and forth. Um, and I think you see that, you know, some of the even the higher end restaurants this year, you know, are, are sushi counters and and restaurants where the chef, you know, comes to the table and, you know, isn't like here is my great dish, but, you know, explains what they're doing in a very conversational way. Or like Wright's Tavern, it's the best dinner party you've ever been to because yes. it's about your experience. So I think that sort of collaboration relationship between the chef and the customer is really changing, I think, to the benefit of the customer. We need to take a quick break here, but we will be back shortly to continue this conversation about 2023 food um, and also what we're looking forward to in 2024. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Welcome back. Let's return to our conversation about STL Food in 2023 with our guests Mira Nagarajan, executive editor of Sauce Magazine, Ian Frobe, restaurant critic for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and our third guest, who is Holly Fan, freelance food writer for Eater and St. Louis Magazine. Now, before the break, we were talking about um, the ways that St. Louis and its sensibilities sort of have shown up in the ways that uh, that chefs have made their food and the way that chefs also and restaurant owners have made these spaces that are very much about um, what their uh, what their food visions are as well as giving diners a really great experience. Now, Holly, thank you for joining our our conversation. I know that there are a number of places that you have been to over the the 2023 year. What are the ones, or maybe one, that really stands out as being one that reflects what St. Louis is and what it offers that's different from other places? Oh, wow. I, you know, Ian and Amir have mentioned so many amazing places. I hate to, I hate to just keep mentioning the same. Um, what I will do is, I'll, instead of mentioning just one, I'll, I, if you'll indulge me, I will just mention sort of, I think one of the things that is a a sort of thread that runs through all of these restaurants um, that does sort of pull in together these ideas that you're, you're discussing about who's making the food, um, the chef being more present. Um, all these things that have sort of landed these restaurants on on all of our, our favorites lists. Um, it is very indicative of St. Louis. And, and the nice thing is, I think what's happening now, um, going back to what something Ian said, which is, I think, really, really uh, important, is that during COVID, I think a lot of restaurants really had to figure out what they wanted to be and what they what they essentially wanted to to represent as their restaurant and they had to figure out whether or not they they could do that and still survive and it made them both resilient but i think it also gave them a sense of of pride and purpose and and a bit more authority mm. 
And the way that that sort of has translated is people now, instead of maybe bending more to a, a an idea that, you know, the diner may may have less interest or knowledge about a, a very regional um, Mexican cuisine, that, you know, now is the chance, now really is the time to introduce people who are, are desperately wanting those experiences um, and not compromise or, or not step back from, from sort of who you want to be and, and the food you want to represent. And the other thing is what's happening is we're giving the people what they want. Restaurants are doing this in this way that's beautifully non-cynical. They're doing it in a way that's generous and, and communal. Um, and, and it's sort of this perfect, this perfect combination of, of chefs figuring out who they, who they are, who they can be, who they can sustainably be. And while giving people, you know, sort of the most sincere and intentional versions of, of themselves and their, and their cuisine. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just, and that's just wound up in this win-win for everyone. Um, You know, just like Ian said, it's, it's really, it's nice to have the chef sort of meeting you, um, you know, with, with a generosity instead of it being a cerebral experience of I've come to experience what you have, you know, to offer me or what you need to show or what, what you have, um, you know, come up with in your, in your brilliant mind. And it's, it seems to be more of an evil and even playing field, a back and forth, which is a great thing to see right now. And I think uh, part of that has to do with uh, who is frequenting again, these restaurants and who is uh, making the food. We have Roe, who's calling from Dogtown with a, a contribution, I think, that has something to do with that. Roe, welcome to St. Louis on the Air. Hi, thank you so much. Uh, my family and I, we yeah. love Sultan in the Grove. Mm. They are a Kurdish family-run restaurant. The mom makes everything hand handmade, in the kitchen and her daughters run the front of house and it's just a consistently delicious understated experience and anytime my family or friends come in from out of town that is where we take them Mm -hmm. and Rui how was it that you came to Sultan Mediterranean uh so in Dogtown we live close to the Grove and we like trying out new places and are always in the hunt for uh, Middle Eastern food and they came up, and we immediately fell in love, and they ended up uh, catering the rehearsal dinner for our wedding. Oh, that's so nice. lovely. <laughs> well, thank you so much for calling, Roe. So so clearly, you know, it's not just about the, the head, which is why in the introduction I talked about um, both, like, the guts and, and the brains, but also sort of this, the feeling that you get from dining out and dining with other people. Um, Ian, is there a place that, um, that is good for families? Uh, I've got a seven and a half year old and uh, a mother-in-law. So trying to, um, <laughs> trying to hit upon a place that is good for each of them, it can be difficult. What would you say to that? Well, uh, I mean, geez, I mean, he mentioned, the, the caller mentioned Sultan, which I took my family to just a couple of weeks ago, um, which is 
you know, a favorite of ours. Um, my daughter, who's 10 and doesn't, you know, is very picky, loves uh, the lentil soup there, which if you can get a 10-year-old to eat lentils, anything <laughs> is a miracle. So yeah, definitely a shout out to Sultan. Um, you know, there's a lot of these great casual restaurants, you know, in the Grove, there's Grace Meat and Three, which, you know, can do sort of sophisticated Southern cooking, but also everyday fried chicken sandwiches. Um, there's a great uh, in Maplewood, uh, Christopher Kelling, who's one of the great restaurateurs in St. Louis, has just opened a very casual burger restaurant called Burger Champ, which I was just at with my family this weekend, which was excellent. And he's also got Pizza Champ nearby, which has, you know, great sort of big New York style pizzas. Um, you know, the great thing about a lot of these changes we've been talking about in the dining scene and that Holly reference too, um, translates to great experiences for everyone, not just, you know, the sort of stereotypical younger adult with disposable income without kids who can go out to all these hip places. I mean, mm -hmm. there are lots of places, not necessarily every place, but there are lots and lots of places for the whole range of, of the family now that are also just great on their own. Mm -hmm. We also have Jenny, who's calling from O'Fallon. Jenny, welcome to St. Louis on the Air. That's uh, Jerry. Oh, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, our favorite place, uh, new place is, um, not new, but uh, Good News Pizza, Good News Brewing, basically, and they serve a very great sourdough crust pizza. It's a very simple menu, essentially beer, pizza. I think there's a salad or two. Uh, the first one opened up in North O'Fallon, like in a strip mall, and when I used to write about restaurants for a website, I said if uh, Pop's Mall Shop in the Archie Comics had been, you know, a beer and pizza place. That's kind of what the vibe was. But they've expanded down to Augusta and Defiance. And their newest spot in uh, Frenchtown is just great. It's just right on 2nd Street. People drop in and out. You see the same people. Everyone knows each other. You know, we're there on a busy night. One of the patrons went behind the bar to, you know, to help, uh, help the server. And uh, at, uh, at that particular location, they have a... Uh, a guy who does his, like, sort of homebrews that they bring in. And, I mean, it's not at the level of homebrew. It's professionally brewed beer, but they'll have these little small uh, samples that, you know, it might be two or three barrels, and if you're there for an hour on the right night, you might really taste something that's extraordinary. Right. Jerry, thank you <laughs> for calling. And, Mira, you know, we were talking about the the place that drinks and beverages have sort of in what has happened over 2023. We've talked on the show about no and low proof beverages. Um, and I've actually been out to um, Good News on a on a bike ride and, oh. and got to enjoy the pizza and the beer. Among the things that you have written about um, in Sauce, what brings together both a great experience in food and really specifically with beverages? Um, I think it's just a big investment in the beverage program because not everybody has the, I don't know, finances to like really invest in that. I think um, a lot of people are doing draft cocktails these days. I mean, Ian mentioned Burger Champ in Maplewood. They uh, hired a consultant group to work on draft cocktails for them because they didn't, you know, want to, they they wanted to have something quick and easy that would be consistent every time. Um, the caller mentioned O'Fallon. I just went to La Ono in O'Fallon. Really great French Polynesian spot. We had 
lobster rangoon. We had really great like carrot tempura. They had a mai tai on the bar that was so delicious. And I think it's one of those things where it's like that restaurant is really making the jump from just like focusing on the kitchen or we're just focusing on the bar. They're really like investing on both sides of it. And I think there's a communication there where those beverages really support the the menu that the restaurant is trying to do. I think like Wright's Tavern, again, is another great example. It's like steakhouse, you have a classic martini, you have really great, um, nice crafted cocktails that are classics that really stand out. I mean, I think the pandemic really did have an effect on bars. And so now seeing so many bars pop up, uh, like we, I just went to none of the above at City Foundry, which is the new classic cocktail bar from Gerard Craft's Niche Food Group. The food menu is not huge, but it's like really this transportative, very cool speakeasy space. And um, I think what they're doing over there is so great. And I feel like, you know, I love seeing this rise in bars again from beer bars to wine bars to really like in a big investment in classic cocktails too from classic cocktail bars. So, Holly, I'm going to give credit where it's due. Uh, Part of the idea to review 2023 and then look ahead to 2024 is something that you had shared with me. uh, And that's partly why we're here together in this grouping. Let's talk about 2024 and maybe what it is we can expect to see in this new year um, you know, whether there'll be carry throughs from 2023 mm-hmm. or if there'll be anything remarkable uh, that's not just local, but also national in scope. I definitely think so. What's great about St. Louis, what's so great about St. Louis is that we are not only, um, we're not only, uh, uh, we, we, you know, we, we're a much more exceptional food city. I think everyone in the room with you will sort of agree with me than than we are normally given credit for um but we are we're way ahead of the game and no matter what trend is sort of happening or or what sort of shift has happened in dining the the bottom line is with st louisans it it always has to deliver it has to be good it has to be substantive um and so whatever trend is going to happen um, or whatever places are opening or whatever investment is, is happening now, it has, it has to prove itself in, mm-hmm. in order, in order to make it to, to 2024. And so um, the things that, that people are seeing nationally that I definitely think we see in St. Louis and we're going to see more of um, there's a lot of talk about maximalist dining. And mm-hmm. I think that ties in with this idea of, of, allowing people to have experiences that are are really a lot of fun, allowing people to enjoy dining as being less of a cerebral experience and, and more of a visceral experience again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, and you and I have talked about this um, on the air, about the, the importance of, of representation and, and the importance of sort of owning your, your own cuisine. I, I think that was, that was something that, that we had to all sort of work our way through and, and start to question. But now that I think that there's some, some sort of um, sensitivity to that and understanding of, of, of where people are coming from um, in their food and, and the choices that they're making in representing their food, we are not as rigid. Um, 
I, I know that I'm not as, as sort of, and I don't, it's a terrible word to describe myself, but as uptight about uh, cuisine, you know, settling into certain categories and fitting certain nuances. Right. And we'll pick up with that perhaps in the new year. Holly Fan is freelance food writer for Eaters and St. Louis Magazine. Mira Nagarajan is executive editor of Sauce Magazine. And Ian Frobe is restaurant critic for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. This episode was produced by Elaine Shaw. Our audio engineer is Aaron Dorr. This podcast was mixed and edited by Aaron. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.